Thanks for the invitation. Thank you to the Bylers for hosting me and feeding me, uh, to Andrew and Melinda for hosting Elizabeth. And I just want to say, Pastor Byler's letting me set up shop back here. And uh, I probably had the quietest, most relaxing, productive day that I can remember. Um, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. Found a, I, I actually didn't do what I had planned on doing. I already had most of the messages pretty much done um, before I came out. But I, I was hoping to work on a few errands I needed to do. But I ran into a book on the bookshelf. <laughs> And so, of course, that had to take priority. So I read a syllabus by Brother Forney uh, about cross-cultural evangelism. You might hear a quotation that he put in that. It wasn't actually him, but he quoted somebody else, uh, maybe one of these nights. We'll see. Um, I want to say thank you also. Pastor Byler mentioned that I have a, a heavy um, box of goodies. It's a basket, I know, according to the, the beauty of it, but the size of it is definitely large, and I thank you all for that. So it's thoughtful. Thank you for taking the time to uh, think things through and figure out what we like and stuff. I can tell pretty much what was for whom, um, and uh, there's a chance that some of it will make it back to where we're staying, <laughs> because my tastes are varied, <laughs> so I can probably adapt to what they all like. Um <laughs> However, the only one that I have opened so far is the cashews. So um, thank you for spending your time and money and thoughts on that. Thanks for decorating everything. And uh, I know I said to Pastor Byler, I said, so you're going to have two meals in a row, um, a Saturday night and a Sunday. And uh, I said, yes. So thank you, whoever in the world has taken all the work on themselves to do that, um, because we like to eat and we appreciate that. So thanks. I forgot to mention that I appreciate the, the design of the steps here. I about killed myself twice today falling off that thing. <laughs> I came out of there twice and just about landed on my nose. Um, you'd think I'd learn after the first time. A third time I came close and I remembered before I opened the door. Um, so I don't know if there needs to be a neon sign on the other side. Like, if you don't know that this drops off, you might want to pay attention. So. Um, Pastor mentioned the idea of reaching local nationals from other countries. What I mean is foreigners that are either temporarily here or who are here studying whose culture is not your own. I, I would hope, I, I don't know what I can say to encourage that, and uh, I don't know what the Lord would lead you to do, but that is wide open. And actually, I already had written in one of my messages, I think it might be the Sunday afternoon one, some ideas, some practical ideas on, on things that could be done. And, and one of them would be to, to choose a, uh, an ethnic group that needs the gospel and figure out what you can do to help them. And when you live this close to big cities that are full of foreigners, that might be easier than you think if you're willing to take some risks. Um, but it will, there will be a lot of risk-taking, um, and there will be some, some things you have to learn along the way. I would recommend that if you do that, that you also read Brother Forney's syllabus on cross-cultural evangelism, and uh, it would help a whole lot. And uh, But don't be afraid of making mistakes. I'm going to say something else. Right now, I'm just trying to warm up to you and have you warm up to me before I preach, because um, this is new to me. I don't really know this church. I don't really know you. Uh, I would say that when it comes to to cross-cultural evangelism, you're going to have to take risks, and you're not going to do it perfectly every time. 
and I tend towards perfectionism, and some of the least perfect people in the world are perfectionists. And uh, I, I was shocked one time when my brother said to me, he said, you know, Eric, he said, uh, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And I uh, really didn't like that. And there's something in me that still doesn't like that. But it's true. And that, that doesn't apply to any of you that don't care about things being perfect. But for those of you who do, that's very important. And what that means is go ahead and do it even though you won't get it right exactly. And uh, it's better to make some impact than no impact. It's better to make some mistakes doing it than not to do it. And so that's, that's what it's going to be. It's that way whether you're working with your own culture or with a cross-culture situation either. But it's very important that you go ahead and do something. Um, it doesn't mean just do anything. But sometimes some people are paralyzed and don't do anything. And that's not a good thing either. I'm going to tell you briefly what I think the plan is. If you don't like it, you can pray about it. And uh, maybe it'll change. Tonight we're going to speak about prayer. Uh, tomorrow night, Lord willing, I'm going to speak on this theme. Serving missionaries and each other with bowel refreshment. You're allowed to laugh. Um, if you, and I'm sure you do, know your King James Bible well, you know what it means to refresh the bowels. Or at least you've read it. You still may not know what it means, <laughs> but you've read it. Um, and uh, Lord willing, we'll deal with that topic tomorrow. That will probably be the most personal. I, I, uh, I try not to put very many personal stories in my sermons. I don't know why, but um, to that tomorrow night there may be more of that than usual. Um, on Saturday, after the banquet, we pastor asked me to speak about how I came to a local church only and Textus Receptus only position on Bible texts and on the local church. So he said about twenty minutes. So that's going to be. Uh, what we'll speak about on, on Saturday night, because I have not always held those positions that I now hold to. Sunday morning, Lord willing, we'll, the topic will be missions and our mindset. And Sunday afternoon, planning, preparing, and planning churches, practical things that can be done, and also some encouragement not to, not to think that because of who you are, you can't do anything. Um, tonight, though, we want to talk about prayer. And I don't know how much this gets emphasized when people think about missions or evangelism or church planning. But, and I don't know what you are like. I don't know what you, how much time you spend praying. But I've been thinking on this topic. I think this is something the Lord would have us think about. Tonight, I'm going to appeal mostly to your mind and then to your will and only lastly to your emotions. Tomorrow, we're going to start with emotions. Um, and that'll be different. But, what I'd like to do is present to you some examples in Scripture of prayers that are related to evangelism. I'm going to extrapolate just a little bit into what we could be praying for that we know to be the will of God, even though it doesn't specifically say that we have to pray for specifically that. And, and I want to motivate you to pray. I don't know what you're like, but I have a suspicion that you may be similar to me. And if that's the case, you probably don't pray like you should. And probably you pray in spurts, and it may not be, I'm not saying everyone, and I'm not being critical, I'm just trying to 
trying to admit that there's a lot of room for improvement in this area. And when it comes to prayer and missions, I think, I don't know, this is my thought, but if there's one thing I could do differently about the years that we have spent, I think I probably would pray more. I think that that might be the one thing. I thank God that when we left, we already had a decent understanding of the need to learn the language. We already had a good understanding of the need to teach people chronologically through the scriptures. You know, there's a lot of things that we were beneficiaries of that that weren't because of us, that just happened, God worked it out that we didn't. But I don't know that I was ever significantly challenged about the need to pray in regard to missions. And so I'd like to leave you with that. And if you can accept this tonight, whatever is truly from the Scriptures, I think it will make a difference, not merely for you, but also for somebody else. And I don't understand prayer. In the sense, and I don't think God really wants us to fully understand it. He wants us to do it. It's, prayer is probably one of the things that is most faith-based and therefore least done among Christians. In other words, you do it by faith because God said to do it, but he has not explained how it all works. And, and I don't think we should spend our time trying to figure out exactly how it all works, but we should certainly pray. Uh, we know, you all know well the verse where, where Pastor James said, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And they talked about Elijah. That effectual fervent is one word. And uh, I probably, okay, this is paraphrase, this is interpretation. Look it up, see if you can find something better. I think a good paraphrase, and this is very much paraphrase, is God-empowered praying. And God will use His Word tonight in your lives as believers to empower you to pray. Because He affects our minds and our wills and our emotions so that we pray differently than we used to. And my objective would be that when we leave tonight, that we would actually think about this enough that we pray differently, or at least more widely. Um, I'm going to talk right now about some primary reasons why prayers aren't answered in the affirmative. The first one is because they're not prayed. And that's pretty obvious. And it's dealt with in the same verse where the Bible says another reason is is that they're prayed with bad motives. And that's in James also. 4, at the end of verse uh, 2 and verse 3, Ye have not because ye ask not, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So, some prayers aren't answered just because we don't pray them. Others, because we pray them, but we've got bad motives. Now, it's really easy for us to think about the bad motives of those people that James was writing to, probably refugees from the city of Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, those people really had bad motives, but we don't. But the fact is, we do. Another reason prayers aren't answered in the affirmative is that they're often prayed outside of the will of God. But we need to remember that the godly or submissive to God heart really wants what God wants. And there's Jesus taught us, our Lord taught us, to say, Thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth, Luke eleven two. And so we need to analyze our own will. The will is that place where the roads part, and you choose one way or the other. Now, what is the will of God? Now, there are things that God wants that God will not force. And this is clear in the scripture. 
The same words are used for will, referring to both types of his will. He also has a will that he's going to force to happen. But about the, the things that he wants that he won't force, I'd just like to refer you to what Jesus said when he looked out over Jerusalem. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her children under her wings, and ye would not. How often would I? That's what I wanted. I wanted to, but you wouldn't. And God did not force his will upon them. But there are things he will force to happen. It says right in Proverbs 21.30, There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. That means when you compare the Lord with anything else, everything else is inferior. And he's going to win. In Acts 2.23, we hear Peter talking on the day of Pentecost, saying that Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, nothing could have stopped the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior because God decided that was going to happen. That was his will. And I'm just dealing with the fact that sometimes when we pray, we pray outside of God's will, and that God has a definite will for certain things. Now, we're not, we don't know all of the will of God. It's good for us. We pray that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. But the fact is, the reason we're praying for that is because we're not yet. And so we need to understand that God is going to do certain things. Um, in Isaiah 40, verse 10, it says, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. In Hebrews 6, 17, it says, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. That's his decision, his volition, confirmed it by an oath. Immutability of his counsel. He's decided, and it's not going to change. And we've got to realize that God's the one who has decided and what he has decided is not going to change. Not what we have decided. And when we pray, we need to keep that in mind. We always need to have that humble spirit that, not my will, but thine. Even our Savior evidenced that. We can't get our minds around this completely. He was a entirely God and entirely man at the same time. He never did anything against the will of his Father. But the way he said that, not my will, but thine, indicates that his human nature had a will independent of the Father, but completely submitted to the Father. And that's where ours should be too. Now, another reason prayers aren't answered in the affirmative is that they're prayed without faith. It's called wavering or double-mindedness. I call it, well, I don't, it's not original to me, but it's two-souledness, two-souledness. It's having two souls. It's having two things that you're wanting, both God's will and your own will or two things that weigh heavily on you. And that's the divided loyalties. Uh, faith, I, I realize that faith means reliance, when we're talking about our faith in, in Jesus, and commitment of ourself to Him. But I'm going to say this for us as believers as we walk by faith, and that is that faith in part can be described as single-mindedness, complete acceptance of God's will and way of doing things. And when we pray without that complete acceptance of His will and His way of doing things, we're double-minded. And I think this is what is being spoken of by James. I think the idea is that I want wisdom from God. This is the passage that says, if any man lack wisdom, you probably all have it understand, uh, have it memorized. If any man lack wisdom, James 1, 5 to 8, let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. 
For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I think what this is, is I want to know. I want God's wisdom, and then I'm going to evaluate whether or not I'm going to do it. And that's wavering. Faith is, I want to know God's will so I can do it. And there is a huge difference. And often we pray, Lord, let me know what you want. But we're holding back in our own hearts. And what he wants, if it's, if it's not what we've already thought of, then it's unacceptable to us. And that's actually wavering. That's faithlessness, or at least less faithfulness. Now, wavering is not the same as not knowing. There are examples in the scripture of a believer not knowing what God wanted. And that is not sin and it's not wavering. For example, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1, he said, I make mention of you always in my prayers, it's verse 9, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. So he doesn't know if he's going to get to go. So it's okay to pray for things that you don't know are the will of God as long as you're submitted to it. Now, that also has to do with how we spread the gospel because there are times when God interrupts our plans and gives us opportunities that often we do not take to share the gospel because we didn't think of it, we weren't planning on it, that wasn't our evangelistic outreach this week or whatever. And so it's, it's out of our comfort zone or our planned zone and so we don't take it. And uh, instead, what we need to say is, Lord, you know, you know what I'm planning on doing today in your will. But if there's somebody that I can be a blessing to by sharing your gospel with them, then help me to do that today. I don't know who you're going to have me run into today. And I don't know what's going to happen. But that openness to God's will should also be a major part of our prayers. Now, you may or may not be surprised that there are not very many examples of prayers for people to get saved in the Bible. However, there are some. And I will share with you the ones that I've found. The two most prominent are probably, I would think, the ones that would come to your mind. And that's what our Lord said on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was clearly a prayer for the salvation of his murderers. I don't see any way else you can interpret that. God can't forgive them and not save them. And it's not as if Jesus is praying, force your will on them, but his heart's desire is that they be saved. And he prays that. And then his disciple Stephen prayed almost the same thing, but in different words when he said in Acts 7.60, Lord, lay, this, lay not this sin to their charge. If you don't lay a charge to the sinner, you don't lay the guilt to him, then he's forgiven. That's a prayer for salvation. And that was a prayer that, that God would save people in the most difficult of circumstances. On the brink of death, being abused by people that hate everything right, these two, our Savior and His faithful servant, are praying that God would save really, really bad people. Of course, that's the only kind He saves. But, when they're doing bad things to you, they seem worse than when they're just bad, right? So Jesus, of course, does not have any forced disciples. All of his followers are volunteers. So when he prays, Father, forgive them, there's no force involved. But that's his desire, and that should be our desire, 
even to those that are indeed bad. And you can see that, we'll see later when we, we talk about the prayers for those in authority, that you pray for them all, even the wickedest of them. Now there's another prayer that is very stellar, very, it's, it's just a really good one. And in this regard, I would like it if you, perhaps, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, could substitute one word in this that puts it in your context. Romans 10.1, Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Is there anyone that you could put in there instead of Israel? My heart's desire and prayer to God for my family, my co-worker, my neighbor, the people in my area, my country, another country. That word heart's desire is the same word that's used in Luke where Jesus' birth is is announced and is translated goodwill. My goodwill, my kind intention of my heart, my heart's goodwill for Israel, the good thing I want for them. What good thing do you want for somebody that they might be saved? And Paul doesn't say, I just want that for them. And by the way, that's emotional when he says, my heart's desire. He's not talking just about theory. He was real good with the theory and with the practice. But he's talking here about feelings, my heart's desire. And then he talks about what he does about that desire. Of course, he does a lot more. But the prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. Is there somebody or somebodies, are there somebodies that, that you would be willing to say before God, Lord, help me to really, really be able to say honestly before you, that's what I want. That's what I want, and that's what I'll pray for, that they be saved. Now, it's possible they won't all be. None of them are going to be forced. But by all means, if you're going to follow an example, you can surely follow the Apostle Paul's example on that. <laughs> that is a wonderful example. And you, you can evaluate yourself in another year, write it down, and say, by this time next year, I would like to know who my heart's desire is for. Now, notice also that Paul was like massively concerned for the Israelites and always started with them, but the bulk of his ministry was to somebody else. So, you can be massively concerned and praying for one group of people while you're actually involved in another ministry to somebody else. It's not exclusive, but it is that heart's desire. And I, I think from Paul's position, he grew up as a patriotic Jew. He was trained at the feet of Gamaliel, you know, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a Pharisee's a, a Benjaminite. I mean, he just considered himself to be the prototype of a real Jew. And he loved Jews, and it's okay. It's good for you to love your people and to pray for your people, whether it be your family or your relatives or whoever. But also to remember that that may not be the primary focus of what God's going to have you work on. You may have to work on somebody else as well as far as getting the gospel to them. Now, when we get to 1 Timothy 2, 1-6, to talks about prayer. I personally can't prove that this is about salvation, but I think it is. 
I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now, almost every time I pray for a church service, I pray according to this prayer for those in authority. And that's a good thing. And Paul said, I exhort, therefore, that first of all. So it's kind of important. But I'd like to point out that it's not just for those in authority. It starts with all men. And then he narrows it down to those in authority. And I don't think that it's exclusively about salvation. But, you know, the Lord Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. The dearest thing to his heart is the salvation of people. And so there could be no doubt that it includes salvation that we're praying for. That somebody in leadership would be saved. That somebody in followership would be saved. That somebody would be saved. And, of course, we know we can pray other things for those in in authority as well as far as their decisions, that the Lord moves their heart just like the waters um, in His hand so that His people can live in a uh, quiet, peaceable life in godliness and honesty. So there's a lot more to that prayer than just evangelism, but it certainly has to include that. And we should certainly be praying for all. Now, I'm going to do some, this is what I call, and I hadn't planned on saying that word. Now I've said it, I need to repeat it, but extrapolate. Um, Why I ever thought of that word, I have no clue. But there are some passages in the Bible where we can clearly see what God's will was. And it does not say that we specifically should pray for them. But nonetheless, knowing what God's will is, and knowing that the model prayer has thy will be done, I think it's really good for us to pray these things. And I want to, I think that they're easier. They're easier for me to remember than some other things. And they may stick in your mind and help you to pray for people. So I'm going to share them with you. And one of them has to do with the Ethiopian eunuch. And what we should be praying is, I think this is something we should pray because we know it was the Lord's will for the Ethiopian eunuch to get saved, was that people would read the word of God and be curious. You can pray today, Lord, somewhere, someplace. Have somebody, for some reason, pick up a Bible or a part of the Bible and read it and be curious and be serious about it. As we know, most people pick up the Bible. They're not serious about it. Most people aren't curious about it. The Ethiopian eunuch was. He had this scroll of Isaiah, and he's reading this thing, and he wants to understand. That's a good thing. And we can pray that. Lord, we would like some more people that we can talk to, that have been prepared, that are already interested in your word, but can't figure it out. Because in uh, the passage there in Acts um, 8.26 and following, eventually Philip came up next to the chariot and he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I? Except some man should guide me. And he asked Philip to come up in to the chariot and talk to him. And he read, of course, from Isaiah 53. We We need to ask the Lord. Lord, please, Bring somebody to that curious and serious position. And then your people, somebody from one of your churches, 
that can lead them to it. And I think that's a, a wonderful prayer within the will of God. Another one to do is to pray, and I realize there could be some pushback on this, but to pray that people would seek the Lord, that they might feel after him and find him. I realize in Romans chapter 5 it says, no man seeketh after him. I'll let you deal with your theological issues on that. I'm going to preach this part. Acts 17.26, Paul preached on Mars Hill to the people in Athens, and he said this about God. He said, and he hath, God hath made, God's not in there, hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that, and I want to emphasize that, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Okay, He's talking to pagans. He's talking to non-Jews. And he is saying that God made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, that they should seek the Lord. And I don't think this is contradictory to Romans 5, by the way, of course. But I think that there are people that have reached that point in their life where they are seeking. And I want to give you a little illustration of this. Just a few weeks ago, we got word of a Lithuanian young lady who lives near Chicago, who was born in America, but the first of her family to be born here after her parents came here in the 90s. They came, actually, I think the year before we went to Lithuania. And she was born either that year or the year after, sometime near that. She told Elizabeth, she said, I, I wanted to find God. And I told God, I'm going to go to church after church after church until I find you. And she did. And she went to church after church until she landed in a Baptist church and heard the gospel for the first time and got saved. Now, was someone praying for her? I can't prove it. I don't know who was praying for her, but I know there are people who pray that there would be more Lithuanians redeemed. You know how that choir is going to sound if there's not enough Lithuanian voices in it in heaven? You know? If it's all English, <laughs> you know? We're in trouble. <laughs> um, it, says, it says in the scriptures in Revelation 8, 5 from 8 and 9 that, that there's a golden vials full of odors which are the prayers of the saints. And they, that is the four beasts and the twenty-four elders, sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy, singing to the Lamb, to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Now, how many were singing? I added twenty-four to four, and I got twenty-eight. Now, there are more kindreds and tongues and nations than twenty-eight. So they're not speaking only for themselves. They're speaking for all the time. And I figure we're going to be speaking Lithuanian in heaven. You might want to start learning. Um, now, I don't think you will be, but some of us will be. The, I think the languages will still exist. I don't, I'm not going to get into all that. But anyway, every tongue, kindred and tongue and people and nation, more of them. Lord, you put people on this earth so they would seek you. So, Lord, would you do that? And, and let them find you. Put us in the right places that those that are seeking can find you by means of your people. Another thing to pray for is for God to use someone to open someone else's eyes 
to turn them from darkness to the light. In Acts 26, 18, Paul told Agrippa about his salvation and how he was saved. And he said, and I said, who art thou, Lord? He's talking to Jesus when he stopped. And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee, to open their eyes. I send thee to open their eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. I send thee to open their eyes. Can't God open his eyes without Paul? Can't God open their eyes without me? Yes, but God uses means. Lord, please send people to open the eyes of those that are blind. That's God's will. That's why he sent Paul. That's why he sends everybody he sends. That's why he sends all of you, all of you who are born-again believers and members of one of his churches are sent. Now, it may be Jerusalem, your area, and that's wonderful if that's what God chose. But you're still sent to open eyes. And we can pray that God would send more. It's really very similar to the Lord telling his people when before he sent out the 70 to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest. And so we can pray that prayer. We can also pray for the Lord to open someone's heart to respond to the gospel. Acts 16, 14. This is the story about Lydia. A certain woman named Lydia, as you know, she came by the riverside there in Philippi on Saturdays looking for the Lord, I guess. She, she wanted to be religious. She, she, she knew there was something that she was missing. And she came there, and the scriptures say that she was a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God. Now, she worshipped God, being still unregenerate. Heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. So the Lord opened her heart. Lord, open hearts. Okay, he can do that. That's his will. We can pray for that. I realize that these five examples are not ones where prayer is specifically mentioned in regard to them. But because they're the will of God, we surely can pray for them. Now, there also are a couple of prayers for evangelists in the Bible. And these are important. The scriptures say that Peter and John's company, that means their own ones, prayed for boldness for the evangelists. And due to the time when that was done, in that transitory time while the apostles were still alive and miracles were still being done, they also included in their prayer that God would give them boldness while he was doing miracles to prove his truth. So when they had been threatened and they had come back, they had been told not to preach, and John and Peter and John said, well, you judge whether it's more important to obey you or to obey God, but we cannot but speak the things which we have heard and seen seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing that they might punish them. So they went to their own company, and here's the prayer. Now it says very clearly that they all prayed this with one accord. As I understand it, this would mean that one person was praying, and the entire company of them, the believers, which I believe to have been a local church there, the church was praying it as someone was praying it. 
and in their hearts were united that this is, yes, Lord, what we want. Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, and now they quote from Psalm 2, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. In Psalm 2, it's against his anointed. The exact same thing. Now that's the end of the quote from Psalm 2. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. In other words, that prophecy was fulfilled. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. We talked about that. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by thy name, by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And that's the end of the prayer. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Probably one of the things that all of us most need is godly boldness. It's not an in-your-face obnoxiousness, and it's not a my-way-or-the-highway attitude. Instead, it's a confidence that God, in His goodness, has given us immutable truth, and that truth affects everyone with whom we speak. And therefore, whether the hearer likes it, whether I like it, whatever, it's truth. And it's a, what, I, what I call it is a settled boldness. It's not turbulence. It's just a confidence that this is truth. And we all need that. We need it. You need it. Everybody needs it who is a believer in Christ. To be able to say the right thing at the right time with confidence that I am basing what I'm saying on God's Word. And therefore, this is right. We need that boldness. Would you pray for us for boldness? Would you pray for each other? You all often have opportunity to say things, and sometimes you don't say it because you lack boldness. And it's a good thing to pray for each other, that you'd be bold. That, that is just really biblical. But it's not done a whole lot. The church at Jerusalem, probably, is the one that was praying here for Peter when he was in prison. You know the story. He was put in their prison, and Peter therefore was kept in prison. This is Acts 12, starting at 5. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And later it says down in verse 12, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked on the door, you know what happened. The girl came to the door. She was overjoyed, Rhoda. She's knew Peter's voice and opened not the gate for gladness. So she believed that it was him. She wanted to tell them and they didn't believe. Now, I'd like to encourage you that sometimes when we pray, we can be just like these people and it's, it's better to pray imperfectly than not to pray. Their prayer wasn't 100% perfect because they weren't totally trusting the Lord because when he answered it, they were astonished and they thought it was his angel and so forth, all this stuff. But at least they were praying. I mean, how many of us are doing that? And praying for persecuted believers. Remember my bonds. 
Paul was not saying, you know, it's really important that you not forget this list of things in your pocket, and one of them is, I'm in prison. Remember my bonds means keep in your mind, keep praying about me as I suffer for Christ. And that's what was going on here. These people were praying for them. The, the believers in the Soviet Union, I think, left a good example of praying for the people that were in prison, writing to them, writing to government officials, but praying for them and not being ashamed of their bonds. Uh, yeah, that's my brother in Christ. And yes, I'm willing to put my name on the bottom of that letter that's going to this officer that can make my life miserable too. Uh, but I remember his bonds. And part of that remembering is the praying for them. An interesting thing is, is in 2 Corinthians 1, 5-11, where there's another passage where the Corinthian church members either were praying for Paul or Paul was encouraging them to pray. I don't know which way to interpret it. Originally, I thought he was saying, you, ye also helping together by prayer for us. That was in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 1. That is, for Paul and his co-workers, that the gift bestowed, that was the deliverance that they got in Asia, upon us by the means of many persons, that was the Corinthians praying, thanks may be given by many on our behalf, because we were delivered. I have a feeling that it probably was both that I want you to keep praying because I continue to face these things. But these Corinthians were praying. The Corinthian church is a mystery to me. It's not one of those churches that I'm just really anxious to join right up. Um, you know, it, it, it may indicate problems with my theology, may indicate problems with theirs, but, but when I read First and Second Corinthians, but this is in Second Corinthians, they've made some headway here. And, uh, and so we, we realized they were doing a good thing. You know, they had their faults, and so do we but they were praying, and we should be praying too. Now, these two, men, these two things are mentioned all the time, and so I'm just going to briefly mention it. I would assume that in missions conferences or messages on this kind of thing, people mention more often than not, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest, about Jesus when he sent the 70. And also, um, the, the passage that says that Jesus prays for us in Hebrews 7, he ever lives to make intercession for us. I would like to finish tonight by simply recounting these things. Okay, I've informed you of passages I've found that deal with prayer in regard to evangelism. And it's not going to do any good if all we do is know it. So somehow, and this is not my natural gifting, if the Lord should use what I say to motivate you to pray, I would be honored that that happened. That's my objective, but I don't really know how to, to get there. So I'm going to go over these things. You, as I relist them, just think, Lord, what would you have me to do? How can I pray to get the gospel out? Because it is one of the things that is important in getting it done. First of all, pray. Pray with the right motives. Pray in the will of God. Pray with faith. Without that, my way or God's way, I'll decide. And then pray to, that people would be saved, like Jesus and Stephen prayed, like Paul for his countrymen. And pray that God's will would be done in circumstances leading to souls being saved. The eunuch was curious and serious. Some people seek, feel after, they grope for God. Pray that God would, would lead those people, that they'd find somebody that can answer and show them the Lord. God uses means to, people, to open people's eyes, as Paul preached on Mars Hill. God uses means to give repentance to people. Paul wrote to, first, to Timothy about this. Actually, I skipped that, didn't I? Um, 
Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, you, you be gentle with all people if peradventure God would grant repentance. And I don't believe at all for a moment that God has predetermined who's going to get repentance and who isn't. God uses means. And the means are the word and the, the workers. There are other means. The Holy Spirit as well, of course, superintending all of that. But God will give repentance. The question is, will people take it? But he needs people that will be willing to do things the way he wants it done to do that. And then God uses means to open people's eyes, as he did with Lydia. Pray for evangelists, especially for boldness. But don't just pray for the missionaries. Pray for yourself. Pray for each other. And if you find yourself weak in that area, chances are all the other believers do too. There's a reason. They were praying for apostles. They were praying for people that laid down their life, saying, Lord, help them to be bold. Well, they'd already been bold, but because you've been bold once doesn't mean you're going to be bold again. And so it's a continual thing. And then, of course, to pray for laborers and thank God that Jesus is interceding for us. The scriptures say, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And the fact is that prayer is essential to evangelism, to missions, and church planning. And may God use his word to help us to do what he wants us to do. Amen.